1: When you compensate people well, the expectation also rises, and Steelers definitely aren't living up to expectations on that side of football. This is Saverin on Steelers.
2: Hello to everyone in Steelers Nation. I'm Stan Saverin. Welcome to our podcast, Saverin on Steelers. We post up for you twice weekly. You can get it right where you got it today at Steelers.com. If you enjoy our Steelers conversations, please let your friends know, and, uh, They may want to get involved and listen to the podcast. Again, we post twice weekly. I hardly know where to begin concerning the loss in Buffalo on Sunday. It was as complete a demolition as I can remember in Steelers history. There aren't many games where the Steelers have been just totally eliminated this early in a football game. And everything just fell apart. You might have been able to pick up a positive here or there, you know, Kenny Pickett's performance, but even that is mitigated by the fact that they did not score a touchdown. And I think you have to take into consideration that Buffalo was the best team that they've played thus far, and Buffalo is likely to be the best team that they see at any point this season. Still in all, it was somewhat startling in some ways, the way it all played out. And yet it was unusual in this regard, and and frankly, more
3: in my view, more alarming in this regard. It was almost anticipated. Getting beaten this badly was almost anticipated
2: by people. I think most people thought they would lose. I think most people thought that they would lose by more than the 14.5-point
3: spread. Maybe the final differential of 35 points
2: came as a mild surprise. But what does that really mean? They were blasted, crushed, as Mike Tomlin put it, in this game. And most people anticipated it. And the reason I bring this up, it's almost like this is the state of the Steelers. People have lost faith that they can be competitive against teams of their own ilk, whatever low level that may be. But most people believe that they're certainly not capable of hanging with the big boys, if you will. The Kansas City playoff loss last year is ample evidence of exactly that.
3: And sometimes perception is reality. What do the Steelers expect? What do the Steelers expect, the players, when they went into this game?
2: It's almost as if, based on the way they performed, that they expected this kind of outcome, too. That is much more alarming than what you may think or I may think. Now, in the first four games, they had every reason to go in. Given the teams they were playing, there was every reasonable expectation they could win any one of, if not all four, of those games. I'm not suggesting that they would have or that they could have, but the mindset was, yeah, you're playing Cincinnati on the road. Why not? Yeah, New England at home. It's not the old New England.
3: The Jets certainly. The Browns in Cleveland, they had handled them there before. But there
2: was no such expectation going against a quality team, I, a team I think is the best in the AFC. We'll find out Sunday when the Bills have to play Kansas City. But certainly top two in the AFC. And it's almost like the fans, the media, and maybe the players sat back gritting their teeth waiting for the ultimate hammer to drop. And yet did it really have to be that way? Because in the first 15 minutes, they were very competitive, despite the fact they gave up that
3: ridiculous 98-yard touchdown on a third and 10. Think about that. And they botched the kickoff. They got away with that. And they're sitting there at
2: 10-3 at the end of one quarter. Now, maybe the talent differential between the two clubs was always going to show up. But it wasn't like, despite the fact that on the third offensive play of the game, Buffalo scored a touchdown, the Steelers came back a bit, 10-3. It's a one-score game. Then, of course, it totally got out of hand. Is a collapse in the second quarter.
3: Some of the same problems exist drop passes, kill drives.
2: Deontay Johnson, again, a prime suspect in that regard. He looks like he's going back to his
3: 2020 season. When he led the NFL in drops, I'm not suggesting that all these catches were easy, but those balls are catchable. They've got to be.
2: When the Steelers gave him a contract, settled on a contract, may not be top-wide receiver money, but it's not all that far away. These drops... Cannot happen, and they are. The running game once again, after seemingly
3: making some progress, totally dropped off. Najee Harris, 9 carries, 22 yards. Take away a
2: 10-yard run by Kenny Pickett, 16 carries for 41 yards. Less than three per carry, not going to get it done. It looked like the offensive line was making some headway, but again, they hadn't faced a front as good as the Buffalo Bills present.
3: And it's now also time to look at Najee Harris. One has to believe that that foot injury is a big problem for him.
2: I believe it's two things. The foot being one, these list-frank injuries, even a slight sprain, can really hurt a back. I've also wondered about the extra weight that Najee put on. But I still believe the primary reason for his issues are that he's still somewhat shell-shocked from last year when the offensive line was even worse and continually allowed penetration into the backfield. So what happens? Najee gets the handoff, and within a half second, there's a defender or multiple defenders standing in the backfield,
3: waiting to take him down. So he would have to dance. Well, this year...
2: But Najee's not hitting him forcefully, decisively. There's no burst there. That could be the injury. But I think he anticipates there's going to be resistance met in the backfield, and he begins to dance around. When you do that, holes don't stay open very quickly or stay open for a long period of time in the NFL. If there's
3: a hole there, you got to hit it, and you got to hit it right now. And the other element,
2: no pressure on Josh Allen whatsoever. He was hit once all game
3: long. No negative plays by defenders in the backfield. That's been a problem since T.J. Watt has been out. And four games in a row, it's been an issue, and
2: there's no reason to believe that it will get any better until Watt returns, which right now is not going to be until after the bye week because of the knee surgery that he had while he's on IR for the pectoral injury. And by the time the bye week rolls around,
3: it would appear this season will be long gone. I don't think Tampa's a great team, but I don't think you need a great team to beat the Steelers,
2: at least not the way they're playing now. There appear to be some issues in the locker room, people attempting to, to assert their leadership,
3: and that's all well and good. You need that, but it begins with better play.
2: Mike Defebo has just joined The Athletic. They do some great work there. Mike just joined a couple of weeks ago, and he'll be writing about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, Mike, I wouldn't dare blame anybody, but here you are, your first road trip as a beat writer, and the Steelers get walloped by 35 points, their worst margin of defeat... In 33 years.
1: Well, Stan, don't say that too loud. Or we're supposed to have an open locker room here with the Steelers shortly. They might not let me in if they hear that. But you're absolutely right. Uh, Steelers have fallen on some tough times here. Maybe to put things in perspective, I actually wasn't even alive when they had that, their 51 to nothing loss to uh, the Cleveland Browns. So this was the worst loss in my entire lifetime, just to kind of put things in perspective.
2: Wow. You know, when you look back, uh, I think a lot of people um, anticipated they would lose. Um, a lot of people anticipated it would be by the more than two touchdowns spread. But did this appear to you to be a complete and utter meltdown?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are almost no pauses that you can glean from that game. Um, I mean, I knew that it was going to be a massive challenge for the Steelers to contain Josh Allen, in that potent offensive attack, and it certainly was. You knew that it was going to be tough sledding for the Steelers' offense against the NFL's number one-ranked pass defense, and it was. But it was just the fact that nothing went the Steelers' way. And and that's what's disappointing because coming into the season, I think everyone had realistic expectations for the offense. This was going to be year one without Ben Roethlisberger. There were going to be some growing pains. You didn't know who was going to start, what they were going to look like. But the the promise was that the defense was going to be better than good. They were going to be dominant. And they're compensated as the league's highest-paid defense. But, you know, the, the, the compensation, when you compensate people well, the expectation also rises. And Steelers definitely aren't living up to expectations on that side of the football. And to me, that's the most disappointing thing for the Steelers. You know, they could have maybe found a way to, to fight and stay around 500 if they just play great defense. It may be getting just enough offense, but at this point, you know, the, the defense is, is not only um, not doing enough to keep them in games, there's been situations when the defense has been responsible for losing them, and, and that's not good enough for a unit that's paid as handsomely as they are.
2: You know, when you think about the unit, I mean, obviously, the fact they don't have T.J. Watt is a major factor, not only because of his individual brilliance, but because of a domino effect it has on everybody else like Cam Hayward constantly getting double teamed, limits the pass rush. One thing that I've noticed, um, and I think that just jumps out, uh, and again, every team has an injury tale of woe to tell. Uh, every team loses, you know, top players. Buffalo, in Sunday's game, they were missing a lot of key players, including both starting safeties, both of them Pro Bowl caliber players. But the, the lack of uh, quarterback hits, forget sacks, and the lack of negative plays since Watt has gone out of the lineup, to me, is startling.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's really fallen off of a cliff after that first game when Joe Burrow was under constant pressure. And that was the reason why the Steelers were able to generate five turnovers because Joe Burrow was running for his life. And, and, and not only that, it was the way in which they were able to get to the quarterback. The Steelers were able to get pressure with just four guys. Um and they did not have to blitz. In that game, they only blitzed 7% of the time. Compare that to now when the Steelers are blitzing, um, you know, upwards of 25% of the time. And, you know, as we look ahead to this next matchup against Tom Brady and the Bucks, the whole narrative is always you cannot blitz Tom Brady. If you blitz Tom Brady, it's almost counterintuitive where he sees where it's coming from, he throws into it, he takes advantage of it. So if you can't blitz and you can't create pressure with just four – well, you're going to have a really tough day against uh, uh, one of the all-time greats, if not the best quarterback of all time, in Tom Brady. So, you know, I I think that you're definitely seeing the the ripple effect where when you are missing a guy like T.J. Watt, not only are you not getting the pressure, then it it affects on the back end. It's just the ripple effect that touches every facet of the defense.
3: You know,
2: to get into before a preliminary scouting report, the one thing that they do have with Brady – is unlike Josh Allen, the Steelers won't have to be protective of rush lanes as much because nowadays when Brady goes back, you know exactly where he's going to be.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely an advantage for the Steelers because you saw um, on numerous instances Josh Allen burn the Steelers with his legs and with his mobility. Um, but that said, you know, Tom Brady is the best at – Uh, seeing when the blitz is coming or seeing where pressure is coming and getting the ball out quickly. And that's going to be a big challenge for the Steelers. And who knows what their situation is going to be in the secondary, you know, Terrell Edmonds, maybe he's cleared from that concussion in time, but there, you know, Keller Witherspoon, he was very limited uh, in practice last week as he comes back from that hamstring injury. Uh, Cam Sutton, in the locker room last Friday, had a massive pack on his hamstring, and there were questions about whether he would play. Ultimately, he wasn't able to finish the game. And then you got Levi Wallace with a concussion. So, I mean, you're looking at, um, you know, as many as four of the Steelers' top five defensive backs sitting out due to injury. You know, as Cam Hayward would say, that just presents an opportunity for other guys to step up. But it, it certainly is one of the factors plaguing the defense right now is just how much attrition has has uh, unfolded here.
2: You know, also one of the things, Mike, your comment, um, much has been made of the Steelers, you know, being the highest paid defense in the NFL and expecting their performance to be commensurate with the payroll. But really, it's top-heavy. Um, they've got three great stars on defense. Um, but it's it's not only the stars that make up a, a good defense. Um, they're the bricks, but the rest of the eight players out there are mortar. And that's where they're suffering.
1: Yeah, I think that you're you're absolutely right. You know, I, I feel like the Steelers, they when healthy, are a good defense. And you know, I, I think back, I, I've thought often this season back to that duck season when they started Duck Hodges and very n- narrowly or nearly made the playoffs with a duck collar at quarterback. And um, I feel like almost it was fool's gold in a sense for the Steelers, where it gave them a false sense of optimism that if they played that same dominant defense, that they would be able to, you know, if they got average quarterback play, parlay that into postseason success. But they were very, very fortunate that season where they did not have any injuries on defense, really no major significant injuries. And I feel like what you're seeing now is when you lose those top guys, as you mentioned, they're not the same defense. Then the Steelers also, I feel like are missing a lot of those second wave players, Um, you know, like the Mike Hiltons of the world. I feel like they don't have those those guys that aren't necessarily stars, aren't household names, but are fan, like solid players that fill in the gaps. And I feel like that's kind of what's missing on the defense right now, where when you lose a TJ Watt, uh, if Minka's a little banged up, um, then all of a sudden they just – they look – like an average defense instead of looking like a defense that promised to be dominant.
3: Yeah.
2: Those are the mortar guys for sure. Our guest on our Savernon Steelers uh, segment is Mike DeFabo. And he writes for the athletic covering, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike, um, after the game, Mike Tomlin was asked about changes, uh, both in terms of personnel, although I don't know how many more cards he's got to play and coaching. What do you think he means by that? I mean, would you be shocked, for example, if Matt Cannon were fired or if Mike Sullivan took over the play calling? Exactly what kind of latitude and room to maneuver does Tomlin actually have here in the middle of the season while still trying to get ready for a good Tampa Bay team?
1: Well, I found his comments very interesting because earlier in this season, after the Steelers lost to the Browns, he was asked whether there could be any changes at quarterback or play caller. And in that moment, you know, sweat not even dried on the game. He says definitively no. And now here we are just a couple weeks later. He was asked a very similar type of question, and he he did not dismiss that notion. He, he said, yeah, this is a a, a league where – performance matters and and things along those lines so you do wonder if maybe he is mauling some things the the one thing i'll say though is if you if you change streams right now everyone the 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 person everyone's looking to is matt canada Um, you know the steelers lack of efficiency on offense has spanned multiple years and several different quarterbacks so in, in my eyes at some point you have to look beyond just the quarterback and start questioning the process the challenge is You've now got a rookie quarterback who just learned or is learning this new system. If you get rid of Matt Canada right now and change streams, whose, whose offense is it going to be? Is it going to be Mike Sullivan calling Matt Canada plays? Does he bring up his own playbook? Uh, It's just a cumbersome process and it does not put a rookie quarterback in position to be successful. So, um, you know, it's a long winded way of saying, I would not be surprised if there's a changed offensive coordinator However, given the, the constraints, it feels to me like that's an offseason type of move. But you never know. If things continue to unfold the way that they are, um, maybe that forces the Steelers to decide that, that it's time to make some kind of big, bold move.
2: Would you agree with me that if he decides to promote Mike Sullivan to only calling the plays without giving him the title of offensive coordinator – that that would necessitate firing Matt Canada. In other words, if if a guy gets demoted as the OC and is not allowed to call the plays, do you even want to keep him around at that
3: point?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Stan. At that point, um, you know, he would be a lame duck and there wouldn't be much of a reason to keep him around, I wouldn't think. Um, I mean, I, I just, what I would like to see, no matter who's calling the plays, is just them embracing more of what Kenny Pickett does, and and I feel like that taking risks, um, playing aggressively, being the aggressor, taking deep shots downfield, just the, the awkward dynamic of that. I think that that might have to be the case, and um, but it's it's a challenging situation because if Mike Sullivan is running Matt Canada's offense, does does he know it well enough? Does he understands enough to call all the nuances of it? Um, it, it creates a really difficult situation, and I think that that's why, why this might be an offseason move is, is just that I feel like there might be too many moving pieces to, to make this transition in the middle of the season.
2: Our right, last thing for you, Mike. Do you think that they are of a mindset that they can still salvage this season? I mean, even after yesterday's debacle, four losses in a row, um, the division lead is still three and two Baltimore is three and two. Do you think they're realistically trying to salvage the season or already working on things that may benefit them in the future?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's still so many games left that I guess technically mathematically the Steelers are not eliminated. And uh, I feel like that's going to be Mike Tomlin's challenge here is, is to convince these guys that they do have to continue to fight. And there is something to play for. But at some point you are going to have to look towards the future. And, um, you know, I think some of that could be just playing Kenny Pickett is, is the future, but I'm not sure beyond that, what the move is that would be playing for the future. Uh, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's something as dramatic as trading a guy like Chase Claypool. If you feel like you could get, get a decent return for him. Um, But, you know, I, I just don't want to think about where the Steelers are going to be sitting going into the bye. Where, you know, at this point, if the Steelers win one of their next three and they're two and six going into the bye, that almost feels like a best case scenario given the way that things have gone. So at some point, whether they want to admit it or not, the, the, it does appear like the Steelers are going to have to turn the page and start to look towards next year and uh, unfortunately accept that this is going to be a rebuilding season.
2: That is Mike DeFabo. He covers the Steelers now for the Athletic. Make sure you get a chance. To give him a read. A reminder: the Savernon Steelers podcast is up twice weekly with new episodes. Again, tell your friends, family, um, if they want to get in on some good Steelers talk, this is a perfect place uh, to do that. Also, want to remind you, I do a daily show on ESPN Pittsburgh. That's AM nine seventy, and it's available on the iHeartMedia app. You can download that app for free. We're on the air from noon to 2 Eastern on a daily basis. And also, if you're on Twitter, at Stan Love the Show, I tweet out each hour of every show so you can get it from that avenue as well. Great to have you here. We'll be back soon with more. Savern on Steelers. I'm Stan Savern. Thanks for listening. And so long, everybody.
0: Get in zone,
1: Welcome to AutoZone.